Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest today is Audrey Gale. She's the author of a book called The Human Trial. So we're going to talk about what the book's about, a bit about Audrey's background, and uh, you know whatever other interesting topics come up. So welcome, Audrey. Thank you very much, Richard. Happy to be here. Yeah, tell me a bit about uh, you know the, the Human Trial book first. Uh, what's the premise of it? What's it about? And then we'll go into background and everything. Well, it's a fictionalized account of two scientists who are inspired by real scientists. But, you know, I know nothing about the real scientists, their lives, their their personalities, anything about them. What I do know a little bit about the scientists who inspired it was a bit about their work. They were working in the 1930s, which is a very interesting era. And I placed my novel in it because Depression era adds a whole level of additional pressures on these two men. And so in my story of them, they meet in the medical lab at Harvard. One is um, a physicist, PhD, who is developing a new and quite revolutionary microscope. And his name is, is Dr. Adam Whitefield. The main character's name is Dr. Randall Archer. He's an MD. And he ends up collaborating with the physicist on developing this microscope because he's in the lab. He can provide them with specimen slides which test the strengths and weaknesses of the developing microscope. And so they end up collaborating for quite some time. And eventually they stumble into an area that really shocks Dr. Archer, the MD, and shocks and delights Adam Wakefield, the physicist who is developing the microscope, they find in specimen slides, live specimen slides, now that's that's quite outside the norm, but live specimen slides, they find a life form that has never before been seen. And this research then kind of takes them down this road that they never expected to be on, and it veers further and further from Dr. Archer's medical education. And it's during the Depression, so he becomes increasingly worried about what effect, if this discovery bears out, and they test it rigorously for a long time, if it bears out, does it undermine not just his career in medicine, which is all he's ever really won, but does it undermine medicine in some very pronounced and fundamental way? So that's the story, that's the trajectory of the novel. Okay. Called the Human Trial. Yeah, uh, is this your first book, or how many books have you done? This is my second novel, but this one is the first in a planned trilogy. I plan to take this. It's going to be a multi generational saga. I plan to take the 1930s story of these incredible discoveries, which there is scientific basis for, which which is one of the challenges for me writing the novel, 
And it maybe, a good... maybe you should call these sequels uh, sequelae. You know, the second one, the third one. This would be yeah. funny. Yeah, you know, like when you're when you're sick and you have symptoms, you know, like the follow-on stuff that calls sequelae. So maybe you should call the you know, the second and third ones that. Just be funny. I will give that deep consideration. <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. That's no, it's fine. I like that. So anyway, so the the first story is set in the 1930s primarily. And that is when the real scientists were actually working. So that made sense. Plus the depression added additional pressure. And then I'm going to take it into the 70s, another um, semi-chaotic time in, in American history. Nixon was being thrown out of office. The Vietnam War was grinding to a, a, a terrible halt. Everybody had a, a cause. There, were, there was black power. There was feminism. There was anti-war. And everybody was sort of semi-rioting over their causes. So I thought that would be another interesting time frame to place the sequel. And then because we've all just been through COVID and actually are still going through COVID and its incredible impact on all of us, I thought this story exactly fits into what was happening during COVID. And so I'd I'd like the third in the trilogy to be a modern day story. But I also want to keep strings going through the families that are involved in this. So that's my plan for the trilogy. Okay. Well, what, what prompted you to write this in the first? So the story, the science in this story is really based on quantum physics. I know that sounds like really big and scary, but what Einstein and Oppenheimer and Niels Bohr and those guys were working on and discovered and seem to have proven to most people's satisfaction is that there's no real solid basis in the universe. There is nothing solid, as counterintuitive as that is. If you could look at your desk, your body, anything at its most fundamental uh, level, its sub, 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 sub microscopic level, you would find nothing but these vibrating packets of energy called quanta, which coalesce in an infinite variety of condensations to create absolutely everything, everything. So that means, since we're part of creation, that means that our bodies, healthy and diseased, our bodies are also a part of that that spectrum of concentrations of energy, which means we are basically vibrating packets of energy. And 125 years later, it's just interesting to me that it has never been applied to our medical care. We are part of creation. We can't pull ourselves out of it. We are electrical first. So that sort of started it. But what got me going on this subject, which I, I freely admit I had no special interest in back in the day and certainly don't have, you know, a, a PhD in physics or an MD in medicine or a scientist, biologist, etc. I had several personal experiences that really started to open my eyes. The first one was a really terrible infection throughout my own body in my mid-30s, where I had visible lumps up and down my arms, down my sides, down my legs. I couldn't even put my arms down because it was painful. So I concluded that I had lymphoma. It was not correct, thank God, but it was close. So anyway, I went to my internist. I lived in Northern California at the time. I went to my internist, and he sent me to every specialist he could think of. There was exotic disease guy. There was the cancer people. There were, you know, 
and everybody, anybody, any specialization that he thought might be able to zero in on what was happening within my body. And none of them could. So I happened to be working with a guy at the time who said to me, you know, what have you got to lose? You need to come to my my, my acupuncturist with me. And by that time, I had been feeling poorly for so long and I was in pain and, and, you know, it looked so horrible. I said, okay, you know, why not? And so off I went to the acupuncturist and she stabbed one of those lumps to see what was inside. And she said, I don't care what you call it. You have infection all over your body. So she gave me an acupuncture treatment and it was the first of maybe three or four. I can't, I can't exactly remember. I did go back to her a couple of times. And then she sent me next door to her doc, her brother, who was also a doctor. He was an herbalist. And he gave me the most gruesome herbs you could smell or taste and instructed me to have only vegetable smoothies made with organic vegetables, as much garlic and as much onion as I could tolerate. But the good news was I could have it as many times a day as I wanted. <laughs> Which I guess that's good news. I, I guess that was good news. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of other good news. Anyway. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. It was miraculous. It was miraculous. Overnight, those lumps started to disappear. And within days, I was back to normal, feeling good, looking normal. So I went back to my internist and I asked him to give me an exam and tell me what he thought. And he, when I told him, he, he said, he was absolutely astonished. What have you done? I said, I did acupuncture and herbs. He said, wow. Then he said something interesting. He said, I think there's a place for Eastern medicine and I think there's a place for Western medicine. The latter being when your body can no longer fight for itself. You know, I, I, it's it's a it's not a bad answer. It maybe I don't totally agree with it, but it's not a bad answer. Anyway, that was the first thing that I started realizing that there were other ways of approaching this besides take a pill, have some radiation, you know, maybe some surgery. There were other ways of approaching it. That was my first real brush. Then I moved to Los Angeles, and I I had a golden retriever at the time, and she was very, very ill when we got here. And I took her to multiple vets since I didn't have one yet. And they all said the same thing. She's 13 years old. She's a big dog. Just put her down. And I just couldn't. So I finally found a holistic vet who seemed to be practicing sort of voodoo medicine, as far as I could tell. He used some known, uh, some known approaches, acupuncture, chiropractic, but he also used vibrations. He used sound. He he. I, I I had never seen anything like it. So of course I I asked him a billion questions, and he was very generous with his time and his knowledge. 
And he told me about two scientists that he had been studying and what he thought they were onto, which is this electrical basis of life. And he, and so my dog recovered and lived for another three years and died at 16. But in the meantime, my dad, so I was looking into it casually. What was What is this electrical basis of life thing? And until my dad was diagnosed with leukemia and he came over to my house here in L.A., after his first chemotherapy treatment, and he said very emphatically, that's it. I'm not going back. I'd rather die than have another chemo treatment. Mm. And so, of course, being the obvious response, I said, would you come with me to my vet? And, of course, my dad, being nothing but open-minded, said, well, what have I got to lose? So off we went to the vet, and the vet discussed it with him, maybe did a brief exam. I really can't quite remember, but he ended up making a cassette of sounds. Now, I hope you guys remember cassettes, tape cassettes, and that old technology of the day. And what the vet explained to us both is that he did not have the sophisticated equipment of those original scientists, but he knew he could step the exact vibration of my dad's disease, the disease microbes of leukemia, he could step it down by octaves into the auditory spectrum. And that was what the tape was that he gave my dad. I think of it as I play the piano sort of poorly, high C, middle C, low C. It's They're all related. They're all related, but they're stepping down by octaves. So my dad listened to that tape religiously started to feel better immediately, and then eventually went back for a checkup with his MDs, who said, holy cow, what have you done? Now, he can't tell them because it was kind of illegal, but what, what he had done, that that would have been maybe locked up. He certainly would have been put out of business, and he has since died, so I can talk about this now freely. But they examined him and said, it is the damnedest case of spontaneous remission they had ever seen. And my dad, also like my dog, lived for more years, I think three or four, and died of, of pneumonia, not leukemia. So now the story had me. I was hooked. It was like, okay, what what is this? What is this? And why, why have I been given this information? Is it a blessing or a curse? So I asked my internist then, my new internist now that I've moved, I asked him just one day, sort of casually, so do you think we are electrical or chemical first? And he looked at me. He was so angry as if I had been trying to embarrass him. And after thinking about that for some time, I realized it tells me two important things. One is none, uh, none of this kind of thing would ever be included in a medical education. And I believe that that is still pretty much the case today. You said it was a blessing and a curse. But oh, because the story just would not let me go. The other important point of, of that comment of his, uh, or that reaction of his, which was angry, is that there has been too much, perhaps over-specialization in the fields of science. Electricity and energy have been the province exclusively of physicists and engineers. And the same is true of the way our medical fields are educated and, and certified. It has to do with the physical aspects of your body and nothing to do with the electrical aspects of your body. 
um, except in very rare cases. So that was what the conclusion of, of my research then then became very, very much more de- determined and pointed. And I knew I was going to have to write about this, but it was really a challenge for me because I had to take very specialized language of physics, quantum physics, medicine, pathology. And I also had to do something that was really critically important to me because the point for me was to have a riveting story that would attract a large and broad readership of mostly non-scientists. So I had experts in all those areas advising me, and it took me some years to shape the science and the quote-unquote, hopefully, riveting story together. I uh, had an expert physicist, very well regarded in the field, who helped me understand quantum physics to enough so that I could put it in the plainest English possible. And I have a very good friend who's a pathologist who runs several pathology labs in L.A., and he allowed me time in his lab, looking through microscopes, asking questions, etc. So, and then I also have my writing partners, who I've been writing with for since we went to USC uh, in, in its Masters of Writing program. We've been writing together ever since, and they helped me shape all of that into the story that is the human trial. Well, are you able to summarize a bit what you've discovered in regards to you know quantum physics and electricity and all that about the body, like? You know, if you get sick, again, hopefully not, but if you do, what are you going to do differently this time, for instance, or a loved one does? There's several things I would do personally, but I'm kind of an extreme case. I would do the the most rigorous cleanse I could get my hands on. I mean, probably juicing, organic, maybe some special things to help your body purge all of its toxins out. I've done a couple cleanses in my life, and it is astonishing. Not just what comes out of your body, which is pretty gross, but, you know, like even your eyeballs kind of hurt while the toxins are getting, the toxins are everywhere. They're in your bones. They're in your eyes. They're they're everywhere in our society. And so I would want to give my body the absolute best chance it had. So that is what I would do first off. I would do a rigorous, rigorous cleanse. You know, it's hard because there's no wine. There's no caffeine. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. But boy, you feel like a million bucks when it's over. And I have already in my possession a machine that is programmed to do a range of, recreate a range of vibrations based on the underlying disease. So there are people that have carried this science forward. They've is this had, a, ripe, a ripe machine or what is it? No, it's called, well, it's called Resonant Light. That's the manufacturer of this particular machine. There are others. No, I think the biggest loss in the suppression of Rife's work is his microscope. No one has been able to replicate his microscopes. There were probably only half a dozen of them when medicine decided that it was just unacceptable practice. And I understand there are charlatans out there. There do have to be some regulations. But his microscopes were confiscated. And no one to date has been able to replicate what his microscope could do, especially with live specimen. So anyway, you know, it's a cathode ray tube, basically, uh, which is a physics device, which enables physicists to study the properties of waves and zero in on different frequencies. So that's 
pretty much the simplified version of what those machines do. The machine I have will will say you have arthritis, just as an example. It will it will reproduce a range of vibrations. So you know, it goes a little bit below, a little bit above, and it helps to catch all of it in its sweeping. And um, but there are other machines. I don't know much about them. I just know about the one I happen to own. There are people that practice this. But as I say, they've been underground for a long time. I think it's starting to change. I think if you Google Rife, you'll find lots of information on him now. And I actually, in 2016, I, I actually went to a conference in Arizona put on by a woman who wrote a huge volume called The Rife Handbook. And it was wonderful. It was people like me who just were really curious and wanted to know more. There were MDs. There were all sorts of different kinds of doctors. There were the people who make these machines and so forth. It was really interesting to see that there is this vast underground. And I would make it my business if I got seriously ill to be in touch with that vast underground. So what are you using this machine for? Like periodically, do you use it to uh, to help yourself like with a cleanse or you know, what's the use of it for you? Well, I, I haven't used it a whole lot because, knock on wood, I've, I've been really healthy. My husband has some arthritis and some problems like that that he has used it for. It, it, it You know, it doesn't, my machine doesn't cover everything. The newer versions, I think, have a much broader spectrum of diseases pre-programmed into it. Uh, so I probably need a new machine. But so far, so good. Knock on wood, I haven't had to use it much. Although... It does have uh, just a plain cleansing setting, which would help during a cleanse. And it also can help you sleep and feel calm and, you know, chill. So it has a, a broad use. Okay. Well, when your husband used it, for instance, for arthritis and other pains, what happened? You know, the problem with my husband is he just didn't stick with it. He used it. And like, I think our part of our culture today is you know, take a pill and you'll feel better tomorrow. It's just ingrained in us. And so he used it for a while and he didn't feel like, you know, it was magically curing him. So he just kind of slept off. I would call that his problem as much as anything else. Okay. Well, all right. Well, very good. Um, With the human trial, uh, how long has it been out and what kind of responses have you got, comments that may be interesting to you? Oh, I've gotten... I'm really humbled by the incredible reviews I've gotten. Incredible reviews. I'm still five stars on Amazon. The ebook released on the 17th of September, and I immediately went to bestseller in uh, depression era fiction, which was so exciting. And then the print book became available on the 26th of September, and we made it to. Um, number one medical thriller, which I can hardly say it. It's so awesome. So we did, we had some very good results very early on. And I've I've been so thrilled at the reviews I've been getting. Uh, Wow. It it impresses me how people read and what they, what they, what they get of the nuances. There's lots of stuff in there about medical practice, insurance practice, um, how doctors are educated, how they're certified and recertified, it, you know, the, the the control of treatment possibilities. There's a lot of nuances in the book, 
and that I just don't, I didn't want to bog it down into some kind of scientific treatise, mainly because I'm really not, that's not my thing. I, I, I'm not suited for that, but people really pick up. It's, it's incredible. So I've been so pleased with the early results and I just hope they continue. The audiobook actually hasn't even come out yet. It's due out in about a week, I would say mid, mid-October. So that'll, that should help too, because a lot of, even my friends would prefer an audio to reading. I like to read with the book in my hand, but lots of people don't. Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, like myself, you know, I, I primarily listen instead of read because I get tired reading. So I definitely encourage everyone that writes a book to also do an audio book version because uh, I've observed you get just as many sales on the audio book as you get on the paperback book too. I hope so. I really hope so. I've never done an audiobook before. This is my first, and it's uh, it's really different. I just re- finished reviewing the audio files, the audiobook files, which is still in somewhat rough form, and I was amazed. I mean, I kind of cried at the end. <laughs> I only read it three billion times. It, it moved me. Oh, uh, did you read the audiobook yourself? I was listening to it. No, no, I know, but did you do the oh, voice no. part? Oh, no, 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 no. For, for for one thing, the two principal characters are men, and there is a very strong female present, uh, a woman ahead of her time back in the 30s. She, she's a great character. I loved them all, really. They were all quite flawed and all quite human, and to me, they just reflect us to us. But I don't feel like I'm an actor or would really know how to do that well, and I so I just, I we did auditions. We had um, half a dozen people audition by reading part of the manuscript and the production peeps and I agreed wholeheartedly on the person that we chose and he does all the voices and um, he's great. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering, sometimes people like when the author reads their audiobook, but yeah, you got someone, I'm sure that's good. So that's great. You know, if I wrote a memoir, maybe if I wrote a memoir, which I don't ever plan on doing, maybe then I would feel like it makes sense for me to, to be the voice. Otherwise, there's so many talented actors and actresses out there and voiceover people. And there's, you know, I think this is one area I'd like a pro to take over for me. Hmm. Okay. Are you working on your second book in the series yet? Or how long will it be till you think that one's uh, ready? Well, I think the sequel in the 1970s will be, I have it completely fleshed out. I have the characters and their arcs and their story, their interactions. I have that done in rough form. So that's really important. Then to bring it up to publishing quality, I would say given the marketing of this and that, I'd say, you know, roughly a year, mm. plus, plus or minus, you know, roughly. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, very good. Um, are there other subjects? I know I can only do so much, and I know you want to do this trilogy. That'll probably keep you busy for, sounds like, three or four years. Yeah. Um, are there other books that you want to come out with? Um, now that you're, you know, you're getting into the science world, you're probably a lot more comfortable. Maybe you're even able to read scientific papers natively. Um, I'm just wondering what's uh, what's your plans and what you know where you're going to go with this. You think I have a few novelistic ideas that keep returning to my consciousness, but I don't see either of them. What one of which would be, you know, the telling uh, of my own family's history in a fictionalized way. For example, my grandmother at 16, saw her parents murdered in Poland, was the oldest of, I don't know, 10 kids. 
And as the oldest, she went off in steerage to, you know, the promised land, America, and went to a prearranged marriage in Pittsburgh area. And she did what it took to establish herself, get her kids educated. You know, my, my dad was a double engineer, mechanics and, and electrical. My aunt, his sister, was an, a registered nurse. I mean, the story of those people, it, it, it intrigues me because we've lost something. We've lost something. It, it, they were tough, determined. Nothing held them back. And I'd like to explore that a little bit. Yeah, they were and, capable, yeah. Yeah, they just, but they did what they had to do, and they didn't ask a lot of questions. I don't think they whined a lot. Came from a much harder time, yeah. Like you said, with uh, you know your book that just came out, the Human Trial during the Depression, there was a lot more pressures on the people. It was much harder to just do everything. Now it's gonna be easy. You can get DoorDash, you know, just lay there and do nothing. So people tend to to do that more. Yeah, and still whine more. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the way I would put it. Anyway, it fascinates me. I'd like to maybe do something with that. But but I am really focused on this because this could have, you know, hopefully some impact, some opening of people's eyes about what we are, who we are, what part of creation we represent, what it means, what it could mean in the health of our bodies, in the diseases of our bodies. It could have just a little impact of opening people's minds and eyes. What I'd love to have happen with this trilogy is that someone smarter than me, better positioned than me, could take that science and bring it back in a bigger way and let the world have at it. Mm. You know, it is practiced, actually, in Europe. Another thing I might do if I got seriously ill, since you asked me that question, is I might go to Germany, where I understand there's quite a bit of rifing going on. and I think most of the European countries have some aspect of it going, as we do, but we, we do it underground. So anyway, I'd like it to open some lines and maybe make a difference in bringing the science back to the fore. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Well, very good, Audrey. Uh, yeah, thanks for talking today. Um, so let's restate the name of the book and the date it's coming out and where people are, that it came out, I'm sorry, where people can get it. And uh, any other ways for them to follow up and keep tabs on the next books that are coming? Okay. So the book is called The Human Trial. The author name is Audrey Gale, G-A-L-E. The book is out in print and ebook form now. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Goodreads. Amazon is, you know, the big behemoth in this business now. Amazon certainly. And, uh, through your bookstores, you may have to ask for it, and they may have to order it, but the bookstores have access to it as well. And my website will have everything about what's going on with the book and with me and where we're going and where we are. And that is Audrey Gale, again, A-U-D-R-E-Y, Gale, G-A-L-E, author.com. And the title, again, is The Human Trial. So, I will say also that the audiobook should be out within a week or two max, and those will be available to purchase on all those in all those places uh, I just named. Yeah, like Audible and all that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, look for it. I, I hope you enjoy it. it. It is a novel. There's a little bit of sex, drugs, rock and roll, 
as well as uh, some science, serious science. But the story is carried by characters that that I hope you can relate to. Whether you love them or not is another thing, but I, I think you'll be able to relate to them. All right, very good. Well, Audrey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and being open and honest, and uh, it was a good call. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.